Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Let me speak to you today. I, I was, I, I've got a message in the hopper. I've not yet preached yet because every time I go to preach it, I feel like I've got to go preach something else. And, and so that's, again, what happened today. All right. I've often said this, that the hardest decision in your life will not ever be between bad and good. That's an easy decision right? This is bad. This is good. The hardest decision in your life that you'll make is between good and best. Because how many know good is actually at times the enemy of best? But how many know God has best planned for you? How many of you, for your children, you birthed those children into the world and you began to dream of mediocrity for them? You began to dream of bad things for them. No, you always dream and you always work for the best, right? It's okay. I'm I'm not insecure today. You you don't answer me. That's fine. I'll just mock you and make fun of you. I'll just make fun of the Tyrone section over there. All right. But see, here's the thing. Many people understand and they believe that God's promises are best but some people don't believe it. It isn't something that you have to have. God's promises can be rejected, amen? But how many know, even though you can reject God's promises, it doesn't cheapen God's promise. God made a promise to Abraham. It was a, it was a promise that what? That his descendants would possess the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. That promise was repeated to Isaac, it was again repeated to Jacob. How many know God makes generational promises? How many believe God can make a generational promise to your family? Come on, why not? Why wouldn't you believe that? Why wouldn't you as a father and a mother believe that God has given you a promise for your children and your children's children? Okay? Um, the promise was repeated to Jacob. That promise was intact even while the people of God were in Egypt. 400 years of slavery did not negate the promise of God. Even in your past, that past did not negate God's best for your life. Come on. The promise never changed. The promise was always the same. And after being delivered from the bondage of Egypt, it's amazing. Pastor Troy had no idea what I'm preaching today. He has no idea most days what I'm going to preach. He has no idea what I preach when I'm done. (laughs) But, the, but, but it's interesting that his songs that he chose for today had to deal with, if you looked at some of them, the analogy is coming out of slavery into freedom, out of slavery into the promises of God. I'm going free. Freedom reigns. No longer slaves. You had no idea what you were doing, did you? Right? Okay? And so it kind of goes synonymously with what I'm going to preach on today. The promise never changed. When they came out of Egypt, Now, after years of bondage, they were now headed to the promise of God to receive their inheritance, which is the best that God had planned for them. All right? The first opportunity to take and receive the best of God ended in futility because of the discouraging word of the ten unbelieving spies who spread a bad report that caused the people to have to wander for 40 years. This is an amazing that it ended in futility because of 10 discouraging people. 
How many know your words will help direct the path of other people? Now, there's two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes that were known as Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. The Bible tells us that when they came, they saw land on the east side of the Jordan that they saw was good for raising crops and raising livestock. And they went to Moses and they said this, we see that this is good land. We want this land as our possession. I mean, that sounds good. We see it, it looks good. It looks all right. We can raise our children here. We can raise our herds here. We can plant crops here. This is good. Moses says, okay. There's only one problem. It was not God's best. God's best was on the west side of the Jordan. God's best that he planned was on the other side of the Jordan River. They settled for good when God had best planned for them. Have you ever settled for good in your life when God had best? Don't you look at your spouse. (laughs) All right. Listen to me for a moment. We're going to talk about this this morning. First of all, I want you to understand this. God is the author of best. I want to talk to you about a state of best this morning. The first thing I want to tell you is, number one, is that God is the author of your best. How many know he's the author of the book? How many know he's the creator of the book? He's the author of the book. Listen to me. You are not the author of best. God is. Have you ever tried to tell God what is best? How many of you have lived as teenagers trying to tell your parents what was best? And then you found out the Father indeed knows best. Right? You see, some of us, let's let's be honest, let's be honest this morning. We want to go to God, and we want to tell God what is best for our lives. We want to go to God, and we want to tell him what's best for our children's lives. We want, okay? We want to go, and we want to be the author of best, when the fact of the matter is, God is the author of best. Does he not have the ability to tell you what he has planned for you? Does he not have the ability to communicate with you and say, I've got a plan for your life? I've got a story for your life. I've got best plan for you. It's what he did for Abraham. It's what he did for Isaac. It's what he did for Jacob. He came to them and he laid out a plan that was best for their life. But this, they came to this place where they had to choose between the good and the best. God is the author of best, but good is a bigger enemy to best than bad. The biggest enemy in your life to experience in the best of God is the good. We often think that it's sin or this or that. And yeah, all those things are a danger. Don't get me wrong. But the moment that you become satisfied, the moment that you become complacent, the moment that you settle for good, you can absolutely miss the best of God. And that's not what God wants for you. God wants you to experience the best. So I want you to start with a mindset this morning that says, first of all, I'm not settling for good. I'm not going to settle for good. I want the best that God has. I want to experience the best of God. All right? Because, see, one of the things that happened was these two and a half tribes got there, and they saw what was in front of them. How many of you can see what's in front of you this morning? Okay. The rest of you have your eyes closed. All right? You you can see what's in front of you. You can see it. I'm not going to step off here, right? I might. Right? Like I could step down here. I could step down here. Whoa. 
And I can do all that. You know why? Because I see it. I can see it. Therefore, I wasn't afraid to step on that. But let me ask you this question. What if I closed my eyes and I went like this? Would I still step? No. I've done that one once. 2013. Yep, remember that thing was on my leg? <laughs> I'm doing that one again. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that, that, that good, we can often settle for good because we can see it, but we can't get best because we can't see it because the only way we can see it is by faith. All right? Settling for good is often a cause of walking by sight and not by faith because how many of the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight? And so now, because I can see it, it looks good, it feels good, it tastes good, because I got it in front of me, I'm going to settle there. When all of a sudden, I've got an exercise of faith that will take me into the best. It took no faith to stay in good. It took no faith to stay in the good. They stayed there because of what they saw. This decision... To settle for good. I'm just doing, this is all introductory. You're saying, oh, Lord, we're going to be here forever. It's okay. I have a meeting at 2 o'clock. I figured I'd preach till 145. <laughs> Miles, I love you. The rest of you just said, what a suck up. All right. You see, this, this, this decision, why do I make this decision? Well, sometimes the decision to settle for good often follows a great victory or a great defeat. These people have been struggling. They've been, they've been following for 40 years through a wilderness. They're tired. They're weary. They're tired of wandering. How many are tired? How many ever get tired of wandering? How many ever get tired of life? How many ever get tired of the struggle? And all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where this is nice. This is good. I don't want to have to struggle anymore. I don't want to have to fight anymore. I don't want to strive anymore. I want to settle right here. When they saw the present land... The, the, okay, the land they wanted to settle in was already conquered land. The victory on the path to the promise became a stumbling block to the best. The conquered land is never as good as the promised land. You might have some conquered land in your life. But how many know the promised land is always better than what's been in the past conquered land? A, a victory in battle is never as good as the victory of the war. I would rather lose a battle and win the war than win a battle and lose the war. Hmm? Sometimes in our life, we settle for a one battle and we lose the war. Victories on the journey to your destination, which is God's best, are never intended to replace the destination. They're never intended to replace the destination. Winning a battle doesn't negate the rest of the war. And so these two and a half tribes, they get there. They settle on this side of the Jordan. This is good. We want to stay here. But here's the problem with that. You got two and a half tribes whose children and wives stayed on that side. The fighting men went to that side to fight with their brothers. They crossed that Jordan. They saw the walls of Jericho fall down. They saw all these great things. But there was a generation who were stolen, revelation, because a generation settled for good. When you settle for good, you will steal a revelation from the next generation. When you settle for good, 
you will steal a revelation from the next generation of God's miracles. There was a generation, there were two tribes and a half tribe of kids that never saw that Jordan River parted. They never saw those walls of Jericho come tumbling down. They didn't have a testimony in their life. They didn't have a revelation in their life. How many of you want to set your children up for a revelation of who God is? Go for the best. Go for the best. Go for the best because it will always demand faith. It will always demand courage. It will always demand something from you that only God can do. And they'll walk with a testimony the rest of their life. You should see what my God did in my mom's life. It, 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 don't, don't, steal, don't steal that re- revelation from my generation. Don't do that. Listen, there's all kinds of small ways we do it. Let me, let, <laughs> it's always funny. Tithing is such a good illustration, but you're not really doing it to get money. You're not doing it. It's not a tithing message. But listen to me. Listen to me. You who don't tithe, you're stealing a, gen- a revelation from the next generation. I'm sorry. You don't give. You don't sow financially. You're stealing a revelation of God's goodness from your children. Ouch. Pastor, you said mess with our money this morning. Be all right. Be all right. I'll preach something nice in a minute. Settling for good often discourages others from seeking the best. Settling for the good often discourages others from pursuing the best. Okay, so let's talk about this for a moment. You know, this discouragement for a moment, it happened the first time they tried to enter the promised land. It's amazing how complacent people will discourage people. Complacent people will discourage discontented people. A spirit of compromise will always lead to good. The spirit of compromise never leads to the best. Ever. Ever. There's nothing inspiring about complacency. There's nothing inspiring about any of that. There's nothing inspiring about contentment and compromise. How many know you can create a culture where settling for good becomes a standard? How many of you can create a culture where chasing after the best is the standard? There's dangers in this. And again, I'm still not even to the main part of the message yet. <laughs> Times are meeting too, right? The dangers. It's amazing. If you look at these two and a half tribes, and I'm not going to go through all the scriptures this morning. But if you look at what they did when they were on that side, they created an imitation altar. And I mean, the real altar was going to be built in the place of promise in the best that God had. It looked like God's altar, but it wasn't God's altar. It was an altar that was built to be a witness between men, but not to God. It was an altar that was built to protect them, not God's glory. They built an imitation in the good. When God wanted them to build the authentic in the best. When they settled for the good, I mean, it isolated them from the best. It isolated them that they were the first to be swept away by the enemy when Saul had to rescue them. They were the first. They were the first to be led into idolatry. Hmm. Come on. Let me know when you settle for good, the step to the past is closer than when you're living in the best. They were the first to be led into idolatry if you do the history of these people. But, but that's not what I want to talk about. You see, you say, okay, pastor, I hear you. I don't want to settle for good. I want the best. I believe God has best for my life. I believe he's the author of the best. I believe that good is the enemy of the best. 
I want to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, but here's my question, Pastor. What does best look like? How many would like me to answer that question this morning? Good. The rest of you are dismissed. I'm dying. Is it found in stuff? Is it found in things? Have I found God's best because I got a bigger house? Eh, maybe part of it. I don't know. But it's certainly not the totality of it. Have I found God's best because I got a new car? There's lots of people get new cars every day that aren't, don't have God's best. There's lots of people get new houses every day that don't have God's best. Have I found God's best because I make more money? How many make more money is good? I pray you all make more money. <laughs> and I'm being very selfish about that. <laughs> have I found God's best because it's in things and stuff I have? What is best? For God's people coming out of Egypt, the best was entering into the place promised by God. But listen to me this morning for just a moment. But God's best is not found in a place, but rather it's found in a state. Okay, how many know there's a state of being that he has for you? I can have God's best and live in a shack. I can have God's best and ride a mountain bike. <laughs> right? I don't have to drive a Mercedes. I don't have to drive a Porsche. Oh, that would be really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could do that. I'll suffer. Right? You see, we've got to come to a place where we understand that best is not found in stuff, that best is not found in a place, but rather it is found in a state. And let me talk to you about several of these states, and I'll be done in by, by 145. All right? First of all, God's best is a state of faith. You can never get God's best without living in a state of faith. It's impossible. It's impossible. Faith it causes you to be able to walk from, yes, the bad to the good, but it also causes you to walk from good to the best, all right? It's a state of faith, faith to cross the Red Sea, faith to cross the Jordan River, faith to march around Jericho for seven days, and what a dumb strategy it seemed naturally, right? There is no best of God without putting faith in God. Because listen to me, first of all, you say, but, but pastor, Why? First of all, I can't even please God without faith. It is impossible to please him without faith. You want to please God? Walk in faith. You say, but how do I get more faith? I'm going to tell you how to get more faith. You ready? I'm going to give you the number one thing I think will get you more faith. It's not studying faith. The more you know him, the more faith you'll have in him. Because faith flows from the character of God. The more I know he's faithful, the more I know who he is, the more I know how good he is, the more I know how powerful, the more I know about him, the more my faith in him grows. Many people are trying to get faith outside of knowing Jesus. Why do you think he walked with those guys for three years? Listen to me. I can walk in faith because my faith is not in a thing. My faith is in a person, and his name is Jesus. The more you know him, the more faith you'll have in him. 
There's a revelation that comes with that. Faith will cause you to experience God's faith. Fear will cause you to experience your best. Right? Fear will cause you to settle for good when God has designed best for you. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is sight. A state of faith is when a state of fear is overcome. A state of faith causes you to walk in obedience. Let me ask you a question. Is your state of life today a state of faith or a state of sight? Is your state of life today a state of being? Is it a state of faith or is it a state of fear? Without without living in a state of faith, you cannot live the best that God has. But when you are in the best, you're living in a state of faith where now everything I do flows from a position of faith. God's best is a state of sonship, not servitude. You are sons of God. You are sons of the living God. And fathers always have the best plan for their sons. Always. Remember there's a a scripture in Joshua chapter 5. They bring the people across to Jordan. When they get across to Jordan, you got a whole bunch of children that have been born in the wilderness. And none of those children were circumcised during those 40 years. The Bible says in in Joshua chapter uh, 5 verse 9 that they did a circumcision. And then God said to this, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Listen to me. What was God saying? God was saying to them, you have crossed over. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer servants. You are sons of the living God. Listen to me this morning. You live in a state of sonship that my father has what's best planned for me. You say, aren't we to serve God? Of course you're to serve God, but you serve God as sons. Romans tells us what? That I have not received a spirit of slavery that leads me to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Sonship is a state of knowing who you are. Sonship is a state of knowing who God is. Sonship is a state of being secure because of a relationship with the Father. You will never live in the best if you can't live in a position of sonship. Why? Because you will always be trying to... Because what happens is we live in this place of insecurity where religion and legalism take over. And when religion and legalism take over, I'm no longer living as a son. Fear has become the denominator by which I equate to God. God was saying to them, he brought them in. You're no longer slaves. I have rolled that off of you, your sons. You're the prodigal coming home. Then prodigals comes home and says, I want to be a servant in the house. You can't be a servant in the house. You're a son. You're my son. You can't be a servant. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your state that you live in, do you have a servant, slave mentality or a son mentality? Makes all the difference in the world. I mean, the father relates to the sons different than he relates to the slaves. It's really quiet in here. I know what you're doing. I know what it's about. Don't, don't root him on. He might go longer. Listen to me. God's best is a state of faith. God's best is a state of sonship, not servant to. But God's best 
is a state of rest, but not a state of complacency. Promised land was referred to as what? A place of rest. Joshua entered into their, they took them into their rest. You're talking about a group of people who have lived as slaves and who have spent 40 years wandering. How many know slavery and wandering leads to being tired and weary and striving? And God says, now they stepped into a place of rest. They rested from slavery. They rested from wandering. They rested, but listen to me, they rested from the past, but they were not idle in the present. Come on. God has never called you to a place of idleness. Never. They rested from the past, but they were not complacent in the present. They rested from the past, but, the, but in the best, even in the best, they would work. In the best, they would fight. How many know that when God created Adam and Eve and put him in a garden, that was best? But even in the midst of that best, he expected them to work the ground. He expected him to sow. He expected him to reap. That there was things that happened inside of that. How many of you know that you can actually work and rest at the same time? Really? I mean, there's some work that's not burdensome. Now, certainly not some of that, like, sick stuff, like digging holes for trees and planting gardens and weeding and all that stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> right? You have an experience. Some, some people have, let me, let me just say this. Some people haven't experienced his best because you got too lazy to experience his less, best. Ouch. You, you haven't experienced the best of God because you haven't worked out your salvation. You, you get saved and now you live the rest of your life. I just want to get to heaven. Well, that is the best, I got to tell you. But how many know that God has a best now too? You haven't experienced the best because good was easier. You don't want bad. I just want to settle for good. Complacency will never secure the best God has planned for you. But what it is, it's a state of rest. Where now, I'm living in the best of God in a state of rest where I'm not striving. You know, I don't have to strive for God's approval. God approved of me through the blood of Jesus. Righteousness is what? I've told you before. It's a condition approved by God, a state accepted by God. That's what the word means. I don't strive for it. It's something that's given to me. And I enter into a place of rest where I'm not striving and I'm not trying and I'm not insecure. All of a sudden, I have this place where I am resting in him. But while I'm resting in him, I'm still working in him. I'm still moving in him. Do you have a state of rest? Or is it a state of unease? Or is it a state of striving? God's best, or complacency never secures the best God has planned, ever, ever. I'd like to be 30 pounds lighter. Complacency is not going to get it done. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Some of you understand what I'm talking about, right? Right? There's just some things I get tired of doing. Let me eat some more grass, please. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Would you you like something else with that grass? Yes, some ice cubes, please. Yes, that would be great. (laughs) Oh, please, give me a double order of ice and some grass. Okay, I'm losing weight now. Oh, this is fun. (laughs) 
You know, the Bible, the Bible talks about fat being a blessing in the Bible. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Complacency never gets the best. God's best is a state of sowing and reaping. It's a state of sowing and reaping. The years in Egypt, the slaves, they were told what to eat and when to eat. How many remember your years of slavery? Maybe it was to drugs. Maybe it was to something else. Some of you who know what drugs is all about, you know it dictated when you slept, how much you slept. You know it dictated what you ate, what you didn't eat. You know it was a harsh taskmaster, and it destroyed your life, and it dictated it on a daily basis. The years of slavery, they were told what to eat and when to eat. The years in Egypt, their diet was dictated by their captor. Mm. Is your diet dictated by your captor? The years in the wilderness, though, they ate from what God gave them from the sky, from heaven. They ate manna, and they ate quail, supernaturally provided by God. How many know that's a blessing? Every day, go out and pick it up. But how many know they never picked up any for tomorrow? Except for the Sabbath. In the wilderness, they, would, they were like an infant who ate what mommy would provide. How many of your infants, at, 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 Envy is here today. Where's Envy? She's not, that's okay. She's got like more hair than I ever had. Beautiful little girl. But how many know she's, mommy's, she's going to eat what mommy gives her. And as she gets older, she's going to eat what mommy gives her. How many of you dictate what your infants eat? You dictate that, right? And that's a sign of immaturity. Right? They were like an infant that God was feeding Supernaturally, They ate manna, they ate quail, they drank the water from a rock. But the years in the best that God had planned for them would be when they would sow and they would reap. That they could dictate their diet. That they would plant. God would bless their seed and they would reap. Sowing, listen to me for a moment, and I'm not talking about finances, although there's a financial principle to it. I'm talking about Everything. That sowing is the seed that God waters to give you the best. Amen. I would just will a saying amen. Sowing is the seed that God says, I'm going to walk. Because how many know you sow in faith? And when you sow, God waters it. It grows and you reap God's best. The problem is, listen to me, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't give many seed to work with. Some of you are saying, you're preaching that seed theology. There is truth in the seed theology. Not the excesses, but there's truth in it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to sow, if you sow unforgiveness, you will reap unforgiveness. If you sow judgment, you will reap judgment. If you sow criticism, you will reap criticism. We don't believe it on the positive side, but we sure have lived it on the negative side. But if you sow faith, you'll reap faith. You sow blessing, you'll reap blessing. You sow money, you will reap some money. Sorry, it's biblical. You don't have the best because you don't give God seed to work with. You want God to give you the best out of the sky. That's not how it works. You want God to give you provision from on high. Feed me like a baby the rest of my life, God. And God says, no, I want you to grow up and I want you to be a man and I want you to be a woman and I want you to sow so I can bless it. I got a daughter, she's, 30-something years old, too. 
I'm not feeding her from a bottle every day. And if she expected me to, there's something wrong with her. Crying out loud, Carson's five. I don't feed her like that. Yet we have this relationship with God where rather than us sowing and reaping to experience the best, we want him to just drop it out of the sky. Now listen, I'm okay with that. But I just know it doesn't work that way. Like if you ask me my preference, drop it down, baby. <laughs> like, like, like if God would mysteriously, supernaturally drop a check out of the sky for a million dollars for our project, I would be quite content with that. I'm going to tell you, this is not a lack of faith. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen through some person who walks the earth, who hears from God. Can I get an amen? A state of experiencing the best as I sow and I reap. Again, I'm going to ask you, what is your state of being? Are you a sower? Are you a sower? And you say, yeah, I sow, but I only sow a little. Reap a little. So much? Reap much. What is your state of being? Is it a state of being where you live by the sowing and reaping principle? And again, this is not a money message. This is not about my, I'm talking about every facet of your life. What are you sowing? God's best is a state where I live sowing and reaping. God's best is a state of obedience. Come on. God blesses obedience. Parents bless obedience, right? Somebody in the nursery is not happy. God's best is a state of maturity. You never give the best to the immature. Think about it. How many are you going to give the Cadillac to the (laughs) 12-year-old? I was 12 years old. My grandpap had, we had the Cadillac that my grandpap used to have, big old boat, because we're talking 1976. I know I don't look that old. That's that's true. And the big old four-door boat, man, and I used to take that thing down our country road. Shh, go do this. (laughs) I tell my mother to put her hands over her ears. And I'll tell you what, it would hit snow drifts like a big old snow plow. I get down there, you got to see this boat. That was so fun, I got to do it again. <laughs> you don't give the best to the immature. They don't know how to handle it. And in maturity, you do dumb things. I come home. I, I come home one time when my father used to have the tire business. We had the trucking business, and we had a major snowstorm one time. And I'm I'm coming down the hill towards where our shop was, and big big snowstorm, big drifts out in front of the garage, and I see my brother-in-law's truck stuck in the snowdrift. And then next to it, and I saw I forget who it was, but his truck was stuck in the snowdrift. I can get through it. Boom! There I was stuck in the snowdrift right beside him. 
<laughs> the immature are just that way. You never give the best to the immature. You never give the best to those who aren't mature enough to handle it. All right? You never give the best to those who are infantile in their thinking. Come on. You don't think like a slave anymore when you become mature. You don't think like a child anymore when you become mature. You don't act like a child. The promised land was for the mature sons of God. Egypt was for slaves. The wilderness was for the people who were set free. But the promised land, that was a place of maturity. And listen to me for a moment. You might be saved 30 years. That doesn't mean you're mature. I've met lots of tenured Christians who aren't mature. You got saved, gave your heart to God, said a sinner's prayer, flatlined ever since. And you've never experienced God's best. You've just not experienced his best because you've never exercised faith. Because you don't understand sonship. Because you don't understand rest in him. You don't sow and reap. You don't walk in obedience. And you're wondering why I don't have the best of God. Because you've been immature. Because how many know maturity walks in faith? Maturity understands sonship. Maturity understands rest. Maturity sows and reaps. Mature sons are obedience. And then I'm going to close with this one. I say, praise the Lord. God's best is a state of collective best. How many know some people chase after the best for themselves while ignoring the best for their family? Some people will chase after what's best for them and it's not what's best for their family. But how many know that what's best for your family is what's best for you and what's best for you is typically best for your family? God's best is almost always connected to someone else's best. Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. God's best for Joshua was God's best for the people. God's best for the, 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 the you got tribes going into the promised land. All of them giving their allotment with each one of them having a border that would come up against the other one's border. And how many know, if I've got mine secure, how many know that makes yours more secure? If I've got the best here, how many know it's probably good for you? Listen to me. It's always about not just the individual, it's a collective best. Twelve tribes would take possession of the land. They would worship together. They would war together. They would celebrate together. They would dwell together. It's about the collective best, not just the individual best. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your state of being about the collective best or your own self-interest? Come on, Troy. That's the first closing. He just knocked the chair over. Is he running? Are you kidding? He's old now. Think about this. God 
always had in mind the collective best of his people. Moses had the collective best of the people in mind. How many other days he just wanted to quit? I'm out of here. I'm tired of these people. They're driving me nuts. They grumble and complain and whine and moan all the time. I'm sick of them. And God, and then all of a sudden, God one day says, you know what, Moses? I'm going to kill them. Isn't you love it? God says, I'm going to kill them all, Moses. Moses goes, what? Come on. All of a sudden, you see Moses interceding. His life would have been easier had God killed them. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Do you understand? Had he just said, good idea, God. I'm in. Take them out. His life would have been easy. But because he had the heart of the Father, he didn't live according to what was best for him. He lived according to the collective best. My question to you is the state of being. Is it for the collective best? I've seen people harm ministries because they lost sight of the collective best. I've seen pastors harm churches because they lost sight of the collective best. I've seen families devastated because they lost sight of the collective best. Somebody chose a momentary pleasure. Somebody chose a momentary whatever which stole the collective best from a family. You see, I can tell you this that God is the author of best. I can tell you that God has the best for you, the best plan for you. I can tell you that without a shadow of a doubt. Why? Because he's my father. And my father always has what's best for me in my mind. You're saying, but my father didn't. I'm not talking about your father. I'm talking about the perfect father. Don't you gauge God by your father. If your father was bad, he's good. If your father was good, he's best. If your father was absent, he's not. You've got to come to know who the father is through the scripture, not through the filter of your life. Kind of funny, isn't it? We can use all these Facebook filters and picture filters to make us look like we're not. I'm going to get one of those filters someday. My face is going to be so skinny and I'm going to have full hair. It's going to be awesome. Did you ever see some people that use these filters and then you see them in public and go, like you get your Facebook and go, Dude, the last 10 hours have been bad for you. <laughs> what happened to you in the last 10 hours? It must have been a rough 10 hours. When you get pastors, they get their pictures. They give you one from 20 years ago. Hello, we don't look like that anymore. And we put this filter on because it makes us look better. We do the same thing to God. Only our filter is putting on him and it makes him look bad. I filter him through my father. I filter him through my earthly father. I filter him through something bad. That's not who he is. Pick up your Bible and find out who the father is. And you'll find out he's got the best for your life. He always has your best. But it's not, a, it's not about houses. It's not about cars. You've been trying to tell him what the best is. God, the best is me driving this, me living here, me. And this might be part of it. I'm not against any of that. But the best is more about a state that you live in, a state of faith. A state of faith. A state of, I, there's something I didn't even mention. You say, don't start now. 
state of joy. A state of joy. I mean, you can live in a perpetual state of joy. That doesn't mean everything's good. Doesn't mean nothing bad ever happened. I mean, it, 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 some people live in a state of misery. Why, if they can live in a state of misery, why can't I live in a state of joy? <laughs> like, you ever met people? Like, they're just like, I'm not smiling. You can't make me smile. But I know that God has best for you. I know that God has the best. But it's not things, it's not stuff, it's not money. That's not what the, that's not what brings definition to it. What brings definition is a state of being that you and I, you and I live in a state of faith that brings a revelation to another generation. That you and I live in a place of sonship. I know who my father is and I know who I am. And I live in a state of rest but I'm not complacent you know all the stuff we're involved in you know the stuff across town I put a post on yesterday you know all that can I just tell you there'd be days it'd be easier not to do it I'm telling you I don't need the stress of it It wasn't my idea it's his should have gave it to somebody else (laughs) just saying just saying George said he's slowing down I am, but I'm going down swinging. I know. I never slow it down. <laughs> I want to go fast, fast. I never understood drugs that make you go like this. My drug of choice, I'm going to go faster. <laughs> you hear me this morning that you can, you can have a rest, but you're not complacent. It's a state of I sow and I reap and I sow and I reap. And obedient and mature. Because I know that there's a collective best connected to my best. There's a collective best connected to my best. It's for my son. It's for my daughter. It's for my grandchildren. It's for my wife. It's for my city. It's for my church. Come on. It's about the collective best. Father, this morning, You're the God of best. You're the author of best. But Lord, let us understand this morning, there's an enemy. There's an enemy of that best, and that enemy is good. That enemy isn't bad. None of us want bad. That enemy is good. And may we come to hate good as much as we hate bad sometimes. And may we come to an understanding of what it looks like. The things that we talked about this morning. May we remember this. That God had our best in mind. So he gave his best. So you could experience his best. You see, his best for me today is found through the best gift he ever gave, which was his son. The best was possible because it was the blood of Jesus 
that covered my sins the best as possible because it was he who split the sea that we sing about. It was he that makes it possible. It's he that opened up a door to the best things of God. It's Jesus that makes it possible. And so, Father, this morning, may we come to a place in our lives where we would say to ourselves, am I living in a state of best? Am I living in a state of good? And may there be a a fire ignited in us that says, I want the best things of God. I want to experience the best. Father, use this message this week. Use it to challenge us when we want to settle this week. Use it this morning, uh, this week, Father, whenever we want to quit. Use it this week, Father, when we we want to be disobedient. Use it this week when we don't want to sow. Use it this week in our lives. Use it whenever we want to walk by sight and not by faith. Use this message in our lives this week. In Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Come on, stand up. Let's sing something.